Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. You know, you're always learning lessons uh, when you get up to speak. Lesson this morning was never eat a peanut bar before getting up to speak because the peanuts get stuck in your teeth. So there you go. That's a lesson. You're welcome. Um, thanks, for, thanks for being with us this morning. Really great to be together. And uh, I was also at the gym yesterday doing legs day. So getting up on this stage, it felt like I'm, the step was a mile high this morning. So if I walk around the stage like this, then you know why. Um, great to be together. And before we get into God's Word, I just want to say a really big thank you to those of you that uh, continue just to pray and ask how my wife, Carol, is doing. Uh, many of you each week kind of come up to me and say, how is she doing? You know, we're praying for her. And uh, numbers uh, kind of pop cards and flowers and pot round. And I just want to say thank you so much. We feel so loved as a family over this period. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my wife, Carol's very involved in the church here, but for nine months hasn't been able to come because she's got chronic fatigue syndrome and Lyme's disease. And so she has been uh, recuperating at home. And uh, as she said to me this week, she said, that's two famous singers that have been diagnosed with Lyme's disease, Justin Bieber and me. So she's in good company. And uh, she, she's in really good spirits. Her faith is high. She is just as much a prayer warrior now as ever she was when she was here. And she actually got to our prayer meeting on Friday night here, which was great. So literally the first time she's been in a meeting for nine months. Um, so that was a real treat to kind of sit with my wife um, and for her to enjoy being here. And I just want to say thank you so much for your prayers. I, I, there is nothing like the church family when it's working right. And we just feel so, so loved. So thank you for your prayers. Please do continue to pray. She is definitely on the mend, but it's small increments, not big improvements. But thank you for your prayers. Please do keep praying and thank you. Right, I'm going to pray and uh, then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Why don't you just stick a hand on someone you're uh, sitting next to and let's just pray together, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your spirit, your presence that is here among us. Father, thank you that we're not just people uh, gathering to spout hot air to a God that doesn't really exist, but we are coming to a living Lord Jesus who died, who rose again, and is now reigning forever over everything. And we thank you today, Lord. Thank you for the victory that's in this room. Thank you for the scent of freedom in this place. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to show up and to do us good. And we give you glory and we say, speak to us through your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 16. Uh, if not, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen in just a moment. Um, I don't know how you're viewing 2020 and this kind of new decade. A uh, new decade comes often with a fresh sense of kind of optimism and hope, and we kind of enter a new year often thinking of the things that we want to achieve. And I think if one thing is going to characterize the next decade for us as a church, it's this. It's going to be a decade of extravagant worship. It's going to be a decade where perhaps for some of us, we discover for the first time the wonder of extravagantly worshipping Jesus in our lives. Maybe for others of us, you've been a Christian for a long time and maybe you're kind of coasting in worship and maybe this is a decade where God is going to pick you up by your bootstraps and just freshly infuse your worship with passion and desire for Christ. Whichever way it is, I believe that worship is going to be firmly on the agenda for us as a church. And I know that because we just keep getting prophetic words about worship. So here's just an excerpt from a prophetic word that someone gave in November of last year. And they said this, 
There is a wave of worship coming into the church in a new way. Extravagant worship like David knew. It looks different, but the surrender and adoration and heart posture is the same as David's. There is a new sound of heaven being released. And worship will move past the Sunday morning meeting into the streets and the homes of many. Hearts are going to be awakened and new worshippers are going to come into the church and sing hymns and spiritual songs that are for such a time as this. There is going to be a power and an immense presence in worship that will reach into the hearts of those that don't know Christ and God's kindness and love will speak to them where we have not been able to reach them before. I feel this worship is a powerful weapon and in this worship we're going to see walls come down and faith rise up, repentance come and healing are going to be some of the fruits. That's a good word right there. That's a good word. 2020 is going to be a year characterised by worship. And so with that in mind, let's just read Acts chapter 16. This is an amazing story in the life of the early church and a story that involves Paul and one of his companions, Silas. This is what we read. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, and I love this, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And here's our key verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. An incredible story in the life of the early church. And there are, of course, many different ways that you could tell this particular story. You could tell this story as a story of great breakthrough. Or on the other hand, you could tell it as a story of great suffering. Both of those elements are contained in this story. But I would suggest to you that the core of this story is that it's a story about worship. 
It's a story about people choosing to worship in the midst of their circumstances. And somehow through the highs and lows of Paul and Silas's experience, they understood we were born to be worshippers. Whether we're on the streets sharing the gospel and seeing great breakthrough, or whether we're in a stinking hole in the ground, we're called to worship God. That's our calling on the earth. And I just want you just to put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. You are shopping in the MK shopping centre. Or maybe even Bedford High Street if you're feeling lucky. And you're, you're, you're making your way to Primark. You're going to buy yourself a nice prime kind of budget top that you think, how could it possibly cost this much? This is an amazing bargain. And on your way, you meet someone that needs to hear about Jesus. You share your faith with them and they give their lives to Christ. And it's an amazing moment. And you head off into Primark with a strut, with a stride, you know, in your stride. And you're thinking, life is pretty sweet. And then suddenly... Some guys drag you out of Primark onto the streets of Bedford and they start beating you with sticks. And more than that, they actually tear the clothes off your body and they do it while all the police and the magistrates look on at your shame. And to tap it all off, they put you in chains, they drag you off to prison. And this is not a nice antiseptic prison. This is literally a stinking, rotten hole in the ground where there are, it's rat infested, where nobody is possibly ever going to visit you again. They stick you in a hole in the ground. Your ribs are probably broken. You're bleeding. You're wondering, am I even going to last another day? What is going to happen to me? It was all going so well. And now I'm in jail. I'm in Bedford jail. I was going to Primark. And now look at me now. What would you do? What would you do in that moment? Well, this is what Paul and Silas chose to do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is an amazing story about worship. That whether you're in the middle of a breakthrough or in the middle of a battle, you're called to worship. It's the same. You're called to worship whatever season of life you are in. And there's just a few things to learn about worship. The first is this. Worship is more than a song. Worship is more than a song. Now, obviously, we read that they chose to sing a hymn, but their worship started before they began to sing. Their worship started when they made a choice, even though we're in this situation, we are going to praise God. Worship started with their attitude, with their priorities, with their posture. They decided we were born to worship whether we're out there or whether we're in here, we're going to worship. You can change our circumstance, but you're not going to change us because we're born to worship. Worship is more than a song. And it's sometimes confusing in our current culture with the way that we often talk about worship. Because I don't know if you've got your Spotify list, you know, you've got your rock playlist, you've got your heavy rock playlist. You know, you've got your jazz playlist, you've got your R&B playlist, and then you've got your worship playlist. And it's so easy to reduce worship down to a genre of music. It's so easy to get into the wrong mindset of, we only start worshipping when the guys up here play the first chord. Ring, now I'm going to worship. No, 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 no. That's not what Scripture says worship is. In fact, Jesus defined it like this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. That's worship. That's worship. It's more than a song. It actually involves your priorities, your lifestyle, your decision making, your choices. And actually, whether you're listening to, I don't know, Stormzy or Matt Redman, you should still be a worshipper with both. Because it's about the choices you make in life. 
That's where worship starts. True worshipers continue worshiping long after the music has finished. The question is, do you? Do I? Do I continue to live as a worshiper in my whole life? Literally living my whole life as an offering acceptable to God. I was uh, reading just in the run-up to this week the story of a very famous worship song that was written by Matt Redmond called When the Music Fades. Just give me a little wave if you've ever heard that song. And it's a very famous song that he wrote in the 1990s during a season in his church of uh, worship malaise. (laughs) And it was a remarkable time because the church that he was in, Soul Survivor in Watford, that's led by Mike Pulavachi, our friend, was pumping out incredible worship songs that were being sung all over the world. And yet in their own church, the spiritual worship was full of lethargy and apathy. And this is what Matt writes about that time when he wrote that song. He said, there was some kind of spiritual dynamic missing. And so our church pastor did a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the entire sound system and band for a season. And so we gathered together on Sundays just with our voices. His point was that we'd lost our way in worship and that the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship, not consumers, the pastor asked, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? My question to you is, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Because worship is not something that you consume. Worship is something that you produce. Worship is something that you give to the Lord. Matt continues, he says, that question initially led to some embarrassing silence in our church. But eventually people began to break into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers and encountered God in a fresh way. Before long, we reintroduced the musicians and the sound system as we'd gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus. And he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstance and the setting. And writing the heart of worship simply describes what occurred in our church. Here are the words of that song. When the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply come, longing just to bring something of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Worship is about all of you. You are all in worship. You know, we, it was amazing this morning. We hadn't planned this, but we had a team that went into Bedford Prison this morning and neither of us compared notes. Mike and Ali went in and this morning they happened to be speaking about worship in Bedford Prison. Isn't that amazing? And they happened to tell this same story about Matt Redman and the Heart of Worship song. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> to 16 prisoners in Bedford Prison saying, actually, worship is not about singing songs. It's about giving all of you for all of him. And three out of the 16 guys who are listening to that message responded to Christ this morning. See, worship is not about consuming. It's about saying, what can I offer to God? What can I give him? As Stephen Furtick puts it this way, he says, you're to think about worship as worth-ship. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? 
You know, a woman comes to Jesus with a, an expensive pot of perfume and she pours it over Jesus. And everyone around her is saying that they're indignant and they're like, what a waste. You could have used this perfume for the poor. You could have sold it and done so many things. This is outrageously extravagant. What on earth are you thinking? And yet Jesus stops and he says, this woman has done a beautiful thing. What's going on? That woman understood the worth of Christ. He is worth everything. And that's why the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. (laughs) We think, well, we're believers and they're unbelievers. That's not how it works. Christians are men and women who have given away their rights to decide their own anymore. And they said, Jesus, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following you. I'm worshipping you. I'm all in. All my heart, my body, my mind, my soul, it all belongs to you. You paid for it at the cross and I am all in. I'm a worshipper with my whole life. Whether in public or private, it's all yours. That's a Christian. And it's the opposite of an idolater who chooses to give themselves, give their money, their priorities, their attention to things other than Christ. Worship involves all of you. You know, it's amazing. I've seen grown men cry at football matches. You know, I've seen people behind the steering wheel, like, like really the emotions coming out. I've seen people kick their TVs when their team hasn't scored a try in rugby. I mean, it's amazing the emotion that comes out, the extravagant emotion. You know, I'm all in. And isn't it amazing how we've been being indignant over Christians who are just all sold out for Christ? And in our hearts, we can judge them. A little bit like the disciples judge that woman. We get indignant. We think, well, that's just a bit over the top. You're just getting a little bit too excited. I mean, all that dancing, all that singing, all that hand waving, that's just a little bit over the top, isn't it? If that's your response, you've not understood the heart of worship. The heart of worship is, it's all of me. Heart, mind, body, soul, strength. Everything that God has given me is I can offer back to him. That's the heart of worship. It's not ultimately about music. Hebrews 13, 15 puts it this way. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. How are you doing? Are you a worshiper? Doesn't just involve singing. But my point too is this. Worship does involve singing. (laughs) Confused? I hope not. Interestingly, the command to sing to the Lord is the command that is most frequently repeated in Scripture. 121 times, more than any other commandment, you and I are commanded to sing to the Lord, (laughs) to make a joyful noise. And for those of us that can't hold a tune, then you are not out of the woods because Scripture says, make a joyful noise which means that you don't have to hold a tune to sing your guts out to the Lord. Okay, you, you, you don't get let off. Actually, this is a command right the way through Scripture that we are to sing to the Lord. And this is exactly what we find Paul and Silas doing in their prison hole. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why do we sing so much in church? We're always singing and we're always repeating the same line. And, you know, we go over and over the same line. Like, why do we do that? Have you ever wondered why we do that? Have you not ever thought we could fit more worship songs in if we just don't repeat them all the time? 
Have you ever thought, had that thought? Like, why are we always singing? And why do we, some, you know, uh, have you ever had that? I have. Why all the singing? Why do we sing? Why does God command us to sing? Well, there's a few reasons. Firstly, singing is the overflow of the heart. It's the overflow of the heart. And you can drop yourself into any culture anywhere in the world and you will universally find three things. Singing, dancing and eating. It doesn't matter where you go, every culture in the world expresses itself some way by eating food together, by dancing and by singing. (laughs) It doesn't matter where you are. It's a universal language. Why? Because these things express the heart. They connect us together. There's something that joins us together and expresses what's on the inside. In fact, Scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So why do we sing all the time? Because we can't help ourselves. Because if you didn't sing, then even the rocks would cry out. We sing because we love him. Remember when Laura, my daughter, was very young. Uh, We went to a very, very posh wedding, a very, very posh hotel, and we're suited and booted. And uh, Carol, my wife, takes Laura into the bathroom and uh, there's no one else in there. So they've got the whole place to themselves. And so they go into a cubicle and uh, Carol's kind of helping Lauren. And, uh, and we used to sing as a family that song, God's not dead, he's alive. And you'll know that song? Yeah, so, so we used to sing that song all the time in our family. And so Lauren is just happy. I mean, she's just happy in the Lord. And so she's just singing at the top of her voice, God's not dead, he's alive. Like just over and over and over and over and over again at the top of her voice, like a maximum volume. You know, like anyone got Alexa? Alexa, volume 10. That was, that was Lauren. Okay, volume 10. And, uh, and anyway, they were in there. When they came out, there was a queue of like 10 ladies waiting to get into the cubicle <laughs> who had all been listening to this impromptu worship time that just came out of the overflow of Lauren's heart. Why do we sing? Because of what's in here has to come out. It has to be expressed. We sing ultimately because we're overwhelmed with the mercy and with the majesty of God. We sing because if we didn't, the rocks would cry out. We sing because, Father, you're so breathtaking. I was lost without a trace and yet you found me. I was dead in my sin and yet you came for me. Why do we sing? Because we cannot help ourselves. We sing because of the overflow. Matt Redmond says this, the heart of God loves a persevering worshipper who though overwhelmed by many troubles is even more overwhelmed by the beauty of God. Are you overwhelmed with the beauty of God? If you struggle to sing, you know, if you're kind of a glum singer in church, maybe you've lost sight of the beauty and the majesty of God. Maybe you've lost your perspective. Maybe you need to come back to the Father this morning and say, Father, show me your beauty again. I want to be captivated again by you. I want you to become the most important thing in my life again. Show me, Father. Show me. Because it's a natural response of the heart if you walk and see the Grand Canyon or you see an incredible mountain or an incredible sunset, it's natural for you to look at that beauty and say, wow. And if you've lost that, then there's grace for you. There's mercy. The Spirit of God can kindle again a heart of worship in you. 
Secondly, why do we sing? Well, we sing because singing actually digs us into the Word of God. It digs us into the Scriptures. Now, it's an interesting Scripture here in Colossians 3, 16. It says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I just want you to notice the connection there. Paul says, let the word of Christ, the Bible, Scripture, let it dwell in you richly, singing lots of songs. Do you see the connection between those two things? Let the word of Christ dwell, sing. Why do we sing so much? Because it's a way of you learning truth. It's, it's the way that we absorb information. I don't know about you, I've got so many kind of random, pointless lyrics from songs in my head. Like, you know, that I learned like 40 years ago. And this, you know, Scalamouche, Scalamouche, will you do the Fandango? I mean, I never, I never asked to remember that line, but it's just, it's just there. It's just in my head. How? Well, because we remember lyrics by melody, by song. We sing and it sticks. And the truth is probably many of us sing far more songs than we do spend our time reading our Bibles which means for many of us, you actually get your best theology from the songs that you choose to sing. Therefore, be careful which songs you choose to sing. (laughs) Because actually when we sing, we're going through this exercise of filling our soul with the truth of God's word in a way that sticks and changes us. You know, I remember growing up in Brighton and in Brighton, we had this amazing songwriter called Dave Fellingham who just wrote, worship song after worship song and I didn't realise as a young teenager that he was basically putting the Bible to music and so I was singing these songs long before I'd actually read it in in the pages of the Bible but I was learning scripture and it it stayed with me even to this day I mean I remember this amazing song called Blessed Be the Our God and Father which was written from Ephesians 1 I I didn't realise but I can still remember it Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. For he has chosen us before the world was formed to be holy and blameless before him. In his love, he has predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. That's Ephesians 1. I'm learning truth just by singing a right song. So why do we sing? Because we believe in the infallibility of God's word. We believe in the truth that it contains. That's why that second song that we sang today, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. Sing songs like that every day because that is Bible truth that's gonna go into your brain when you just put it to a melody. That's why we sing. Thirdly, why do we sing? Well, because our singing in itself is warfare announcing Christ's victory. Just get this, Ephesians 5.15. Again, just notice the context of these verses. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the heart to the Lord with your heart. Notice the context of Paul's instruction to sing. It's what? The days are evil. 
How do you respond to evil days? How do you respond to the day when you're thrown into a prison cell and your feet are shackled and you've been beaten and your ribs are broken and you don't know if you're gonna last another day? What do you do in the evil day? Well, Paul says, sing spiritual songs to one another. Make melody in your heart. Paul and Silas sang hymns to God. And if you think about it, this does make total sense because how irritating and infuriating must it be if you are Satan and you've done your worst and still the saints choose to sing. You know, you, you've kind of thrown all the eggs that you've got in your basket. You're like, yep, yep, beating. Woo, yep, there we go. Whoa, yep, just log that in. You've thrown everything that you can. And yet when you look into the hole at Paul and Silas, I love you, Lord, come by. What must I do to like cripple these guys? They're still singing. And that's why your choice, my choice to worship when you're in the depths of despair is such a powerful weapon in your hands because it's announcing a victory that even the worst demon, even the worst circumstance cannot take away because when you sing in suffering, you're announcing something about the cross. That at the cross, at Christ's seemingly worst, weakest moment, actually it was the Trojan horse of victory and that even in suffering, we find salvation. And so when you suffer, sing. When you are in pain, sing. When you least feel like it, sing. When you're in the depths of despair and you feel hopeless, dance and sing like your life depended on it because it just might. Sing, sing, sing. Because when you do, you are announcing to the principalities and powers, Jesus has my heart and he is above my circumstance. I love this story. I read this this week from a church pastor who was persecuted in his faith in his country. This is what he wrote. He said, when we were in prison, we sang almost every day because Christ was alive in us. They put chains on our hands and feet. They chained us to add to our grief. And yet we discovered that chains are splendid musical instruments. When we clanged them together in rhythm, we could sing, this is the day, clink, clank, this is the day, clink, clank, that the Lord has made, clink, clank, which the Lord has made, clink, clank. (laughs) See, if you're the enemy looking at that, you're thinking, ah, the days are evil, there's so much doom and gloom and despair. And yet there you find Christians singing and worshipping and saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I love you. I know that you're working. Even when I don't see it, I know that you're working. You're always working, Father. You're always working. You're a miracle maker. You're a way maker. Amy Carmichael said, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room when there is a true song. (laughs) When we sing, he can't stand it. He has to leave. Last reason why we sing is that singing is an invitation for breakthrough. So actually we sing both to announce victory in our circumstances, but also singing is a setup for breakthrough. It's an invitation. Singing is a form of prophecy. We sing to impossibilities that they might come down, that they might change. 
And for Paul and Silas, they're singing and in the midst of their worshipping and their choices to, to praise God, suddenly their chains fall off, the doors open in the prison, the Philippian jailer gives his life to Christ and his whole household and suddenly there's an amazing kingdom breakthrough. How did that happen? We chose to sing. <laughs> we chose to worship and suddenly it's a setup for breakthrough. What, what happens when we sing is that we draw God onto the page of our circumstance. You see, when you invite an elephant into your kitchen, one of those things is going to give way and it's not going to be the elephant. Okay? Because you've got two realities. You've got your kitchen and you've got an elephant. And I tell you, your kitchen is going to make way when you invite an elephant into it. And this is what happens when you worship. When you worship, you are inviting the weightiest reality in the whole universe, the very presence of God, to come into your circumstances. And when you do that, he is going to rearrange things. He will either rearrange your perspective so that you see differently, or he will totally rearrange your circumstances so that it brings breakthrough. Either way, you're going to be changed when you choose to worship. Singing is a prophetic declaration. God, would you come? Would you come? You cannot help but sing a song like Miracle Maker without thinking about the miracles that you want Jesus to do. Those songs are an announcement. God is coming. Perhaps the worship team could come back real quick. That'd be great. Worship ultimately changes the odds in your life. <laughs> It changes the odds. It brings God into the equation. And this is why we sing. This is why we worship. And so why don't we stand together? We're just going to take a moment to worship together right now.